Salutations. My name is Justin Lohr. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to... Ep- uh, fuck. <laughs> uh, episode 105. <laughs> oh my god. Of our oh business. Oh my gosh. Episode 105 of our business. That's right. Keep it in, Sharky. Keep it in. They need to know about the machinations of our business. And on today's episode, we're fucking again with the goddamn horny vampire movies. We're doing 1979's First and 1990's Pale Blood. Okay, it's good that you brought up Sharky, and I want this to be on the record, because I told Sharky, thinking he knew about this already, about how we got here. But he said that whatever discussion we had about how we got to the situation was off mic, and that the joke that you made on the last episode that uh, bad thirst was my decision and I should be blamed for it came across as sincere because there was nothing else on the mic that suggested it was a a sarcastic joke. So let me be clear to (laughs) y'all. Today's choices were what I pitched to Justin originally. You know, not that we had to do what I pitched, but this is just what I pitched. And then through confusing movies and deciding to pick something else, we managed to talk about two movies named Thirst that were not the Thirst that I suggested, thus totally robbing me of all satisfaction. Mm. And then on the mic, Justin claimed Mm. that that was my idea. So Mm. I was even more like, I've been wronged. I've been wronged by one Mm. Justin Lore. It's interesting. It's interesting. First off, you can believe what you want to believe, okay? (laughs) Secondly, what do we know about satisfaction? It is the death of desire. Thank you. I'm keeping you hungry so we can can be better. You're welcome. I, okay, I know that you are a hate breed apologist, but is that title actually deep or is that a bad title? Uh, What I always took from it, it's like vaguely, and I cannot stress vaguely enough, related to like the... Um, putting my fucking religious, my bachelor's degree in religion hard at work here. Uh, the the four noble truths of, um, right, yes, of Buddhism, yeah, yes. Here's, I think it's like it's like it's like it's like tangentially connected to that. Here's here's my issue. I hear it, and if I if I take it not seriously, it's the worst title ever because it's literally saying if you get what you want, then you might not want it anymore. And I'm like, okay, that's just obvious. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, that's not even obvious because I would argue, thanks to capitalism, lots of satisfied people still desire more endlessly for all time until they die from all that they get. If I can go further into the religious reference, uh, that actually is, modern life is not the satisfaction, is, is the death of desire. Modern life is closer to what the one layer of Muslim hell is, where all there is to drink is like boiling water, and the only thing sure. you eat is like a plant that causes hunger, which I think is like very fitting of, um, you know, how we live our lives at this, uh, at this nexus point and, uh, in, in, in history. I also it never occurred to me before that you bringing up your religious studies degree with me is somewhat silly because I have two master's degrees in religion. Yeah, but I never I never think about it. I'm always like, yeah, no, that's true. Justin does have that that religious studies (laughs) experience. And it's like, yeah, he does. But I do, too. 
I, I'm in debt because of that. I should remember because I have to pay the bill. Yeah, rules. I love it. If you're going to grad school, y'all find I, you know, a friend of the show, uh, Davin recently on her podcast feed was encouraging people to go to grad school. And I fully support that. But something she kind of hit on that I want to emphasize here is I fully support going to grad school if and when you find money. If you're one of these people who didn't find anyone to pay for your grad school, but you're just stubborn enough to go anyway, like me. Don't do that shit, man. Don't go into debt for grad school unless you are are sure you're going to get the sickest job afterwards. But I know so many people who not only have master's degrees, but have PhDs who are not making the money they need to pay off their fucking student loans. So uh, I, I still think education is great, and I wish that people could go to grad school for free, but you can't. So get get those scholarships, get those fellowships, get whatever grants you need, wherever you can get. And if you are willing to do the work, there is money out there. It's I'm not telling you to do something impossible. There is a lot of money out there, but it takes work. And I think it's worth that work because my stepbrother is an academic and he did all that shit. He still does that shit, getting grants and stuff. My man gets the money coming in, filling out. It's a lot of work, but there's money there to have. And it's not worth going to debt for a master's, let alone for a PhD. Co-signed. So I'm excited to talk about these two movies. I want to put out front, Thirst is a movie that I was familiar with. I searched it out for one of my back when I was doing the uh, like writing about horror movies every day for Halloween for the month of Halloween. Thirst was one of the movies that just I found it on Fandor. I watched it and I was blown away. Like, what the hell is this? I had no idea anything about Pale Blood. And I think because I was recommending it that we cover it, it might have come across like, oh, this is a movie that Liam is like into. I just saw the cover on the Blu-ray and thought that looks cool. We should cover that. <laughs> I can fuck with that. Which, by the way, the cover of the really that there's that is almost unrelated to the movie. I would suggest uh, I, the cover that's on the is it on IMDb? I don't know if it is. It's it's white and it's got a woman laying down with two bite marks on her neck. Yeah, not in the heart. Uh, vaguely related to the movie only vaguely i mean our main vampire doesn't even bite on the neck, but we'll get there. The point is, I'm excited we'll for this there. episode, and I hope you're excited as well. I am. But before we get to that, let us thank our sponsors. Let's, let's talk about who this episode is brought to you by. Brought to you by you, our loyal, devoted, um, benevolent, docile Patreons. Stop, Patrons. stop. We do this podcast for free. We do it out of our love for film. We do it out of our love. We do it out of our love of horror. And we do it despite hating the sound of our own voices. Um... We don't make any money, but a podcast does require – it does have its costs, and you, our loyal patrons, help offset that cost with your generous donations. So for that, we thank you. Um, if you would like to become one of the elite members of our Patreon society, you can head to patreon.com backslash Cinepunks and understand that not only will you be helping the Harbins podcast, but you'll be helping the entire Cinepunks podcast network as a whole. So I want I want I want to jump in real quick and say, if you are one of our patrons, uh, I hope that you received a bag of coffee from me. I sent out coffee to everybody. Um, if you did not receive a bag of coffee, 
uh, that is because most likely because your address was not on your Patreon profile. So you can either fill it out on your profile or if for whatever reason you're not comfortable with that, you can email Cinepunks directly, Cinepunks at gmail.com, and I will send you uh, coffee. I still have a few bags left. Um, and so I just wanted to make that clear because most people got coffee. Not everyone did. And if you didn't get it and you wanted it and you're wondering why – Hit us up. Get in contact. We'll get you that coffee. Um, if you're listening to this retroactively, like it's a year from when this was recorded, and you're thinking, I want stuff, there are some things that come with Patreon. So get on the Patreon. We'll send you some stuff. We're trying to get together to make some more content for the Patreon. Um, uh, but most mostly the Patreon exists for you to help us exist. And like Justin said, it, you know, we're not making any profit here, but we are trying to cover costs and we really appreciate that. Yeah. So patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. Now, Liam, if I said to you, I want to get a t-shirt made that is just a picture of me and Eric Roberts hanging out. I would be jealous, but yes. <laughs> Where I would, would you? I would also suggest you go to xlvacx.com so that the fine folks at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, who now have two automatic presses, what? So professional, so high tech. They can we help are you. in the 21st century. We, we really are in the 21st century. We really are. Um, they can help you with your design, whether you want that on a t-shirt, a sweatshirt, a hat, uh, some undies, whatever it is, they got you covered. Yeah. So if you're like me and you have all these like stupid ideas just fucking swirling around in your head for apparel or, you know, more apparel, just make Chris life, Chris rejects life a living hell. He's having a really, really hard time right now. And we want to make that even worse for him. And the only way we can do that is by giving him more work to do. It's true. So head to www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. Do not go to lvac.com. That's some fucking nonsense, bullshit, Las Vegas athletic stuff that they're out in the desert doing fucking God knows what. Don't go there. There's probably, X's probably racquetball. Racquetball or tetherball or some other fucking rich white sport that isn't real because it's not baseball or football. Hopefully not highlight because that would be appropriation. Yes. <laughs> Fact. Fuck. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, xlvacx.com. Uh, don't let the X's fool you. Chris Reject is fucking not straight edge. And um, he's a drinker. So, yeah, Liam, who else do we have to thank? Our good friends over at Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, look, here's the thing. Sometimes uh, fancy coffee, fine coffee, coffee that's beyond just getting some at Dunkin' Donuts, it can be intimidating. It can feel like an elitist thing. Uh, it, it, it sometimes it feels like wine culture, and uh, in case you didn't know, wine culture sucks. So yeah, uh, wine is bullshit. Yeah, what's great about Essex Coffee Roasters is that they want to get you the highest quality beans as freshly roasted as possible. So you're getting the freshest possible coffee, but they want to demystify that for you. They want to help you know what kind of coffee you like. You know, they're not going to give you like. 
obscure flavor notes that aren't going to be there. They're going to help you know, like, what do you like your coffee to taste like? This is what you need. And they're going to help you figure out how to roast, uh, how to brew it at home as well. They also have very fine tea. Uh, they have a variety of specialty blends that they worked with uh, illustrious organizations such as ours to develop special coffees. And they also have merch. And whatever you're going to get, let's say you're getting coffee, let's say you're getting tea, let's say you're getting a hoodie or a t-shirt, you're going to want to on your way out in the little coupon code area you're going to type c-i-n-e-p-u-n-x and that shit's going to get you 10 percent off did you earn that 10 percent off no well in a sense you did because you listen to this show so go ahead put the code in get your 10 percent off enjoy honestly some of the best coffee i've ever had and uh, liam and drinks a lot of coffee i drink way too much coffee and support our man aaron dahlbeck who is in bain and converge and briefly 10 yard fight and is now in be well so there you go yeah i'm just gonna say um liam uh, i want to do i'm telling you i'm an aaron dahlbeck if you're fucking listening to this too i'm calling you out for the last time come show your face for the first time i've got a head full of questions and a busted heart Full of lies. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, that was a, I just quoted the first verse of Bane's um, Struck Down by Me. It's a very good song. Um, no, but uh, I am I just not a feel like we should person. start again. Can we start again? Uh, we should go back to what it meant back then, which is hard business tea. I want to do hard business tea. Uh, we could, I, I, I will, we'll make that happen. Uh, I will contact Aaron and say, hey, would it be possible to do tea instead of coffee? I okay. think that would be fun. Don't tell him that I actually fuck it. Tell him. Be like, look, um, my co-host is a bit of an asshole and a fanboy. He, he literally said he was going to fight you. He he threatened you in a way. But only in Bane lyrics. Only in Bane lyrics. Yeah. So now that we've sort of thanked our sponsors in a not at all embarrassing way, um, I now... <laughs> I now, um, I am a visual artist. I, I am Wingshauser from Pale Blood. (laughs) And I am Wingshauser from Pale Blood watching way too many monitors that are just showing extreme close-ups of, of women cracking eggs with their fucking egg egg leg elbows, which is what I call knees. As I am Wingshauser watching these women do that, I turn to Liam and I say, Liam, <laughs> what have you done involving Har recently? Well, 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 uh, we are wrapping up. Uh, you're hearing this after the fact, but we are recording on August 25th, which is the last day of Fantasia Fest. And I have had the pleasure of covering quite a few things for Fantasia Fest. Um, now, uh, you can find reviews for hopefully everything I watched, though I watched something today and I haven't written that review yet. But hopefully by the time you're hearing this, there are five reviews from me. However, um, there's at least one movie I wanted to bring up specifically because it relates to things we've covered on the show. So one of the movies I watched as part of Fantasia Fest was a film called When I Consume You. Have you heard about this, Justin? I have not. Well, it is written and directed and filmed by the writer, director, and cinematographer of a movie that we discussed on this very show called uh, They Look Like People. 
Oh, fuck. And so he actually made a movie that we missed between the two called The Siren that I didn't hear anything about. That that just them as far as I'm concerned, that movie disappeared. I haven't seen anything about it. But this is his new movie. Um, it is basically the same people that were in his first movie with a, one new edition. Um, and it is in some ways very similar to his first film in that I think it um, – Something a concept I've been developing for a while is this idea that genre, probably literature, but I talk about movies more, so let's focus on movies. Genre movies allow us to look at serious things sideways. So like a movie that's just straight up like about mental illness is difficult to do because either it's going to be too exploitative or it's going to be too sympathetic or it's going to be too like – uh, I don't even mean sympathetic. What I mean is sentimental, you know, or it, it's going to it's going to try to be funny. You know what I mean? Like that talking about some things directly is less effective, at least for some audiences, than talking about things indirectly. And what was interesting about if they look like people is that it kind of did both. It was indirectly about mental illness, but then it was kind of directly about mental illness. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This new film is more indirect than the first film. And what I can say about that is that while the first film uh, was about this anxiety of like, is what this character experiencing real or is it not real? Right. This new film has similar aspects that are just as anxious only. And I don't think this is a giant spoiler because I think it's in some of the write ups about the movie. It makes a decision that the first movie does not. Which is that. Okay. This shit is real. And what's this movie called? When I Consume You. Okay. That's what I uh, that's what I said to a bowl of ravioli earlier. Am I right? <laughs> now, um, there are some dramatic decisions made in the first act. In fact, I would say in the first 15 minutes that are actually not talked about in the promo material. So I'm not going to talk about them either. In fact, I would go so far as to say if you read some of the synopses of, these, of this film, they are bordering upon dishonest because there's a couple of dramatic things that happen that they don't reveal, uh, which is great because then you're surprised when they happen. But I know some people might feel almost lied to like, Oh, that wasn't what I was expecting. Um, so there are some things like that happen, and I don't want to spoil them for anyone. But at a certain very important point, when you're still not sure if some of what's happening is real, it becomes real enough. Let's let's put it that way. I guess you could still read the film if you chose to as entirely in um, – well, it has to be two characters' minds, but I don't think that's what's going on. I think it is real. But what's true, and we've talked about this before, just because there are supernatural things in the story, it still functions as a metaphor, though this time less about specifically mental illness and more about uh, addiction and, ment- and, and mental illness, or rather the ways that addiction and other traumatic issues, PTSD can kind of make you isolated from the world. So those themes of claustrophobia and isolation are still there, but, um, but what's happening is happening. Um, and I, and, and that's not a huge spoiler because that I think is clear from the beginning, but because I saw his other film, I was doubting it the whole time. Like, is this real? He's really pushing it this far. If it's not real, man, this really feels real. And then at a certain point it's like, okay, this is actually real. This is all really happening. Um, but it still <laughs> works at like a metaphorical or an, I would say more like analogous level. There's definitely an analogy being made here, but it's not heavy handed. Um, 
it's still very scary uh, and very dark, but it has a little less anxiety than his first film. You know, it's a little less like deep, uncomfortable dread, but it certainly has its moments uh, that were very upsetting. Um, but what it has that I don't think the first film has a lot of, uh, it's also fucking funny. Right. And I, and I feel like maybe okay. there's a couple moment, moments in that first movie that might be seen as funny, but this movie's like actually funny. And I really think it's, there's a new actress in it who I don't have her name in front of me. So let me find that really quick. Uh, there's a new addition to what you could call his, his like, you know, his cast. He's working with the same people again, but there's a, a new actress. Let me find her name before I go on about this. Uh, there's an actress involved named Libby Ewing. Uh, who is um, not new to acting per se, but is new to his kind of ensemble of people that he usually works with. And she brings quite honestly, a lot more character to it, which it sounds disrespectful that first movie, but what that first movie needed was people to sell the fear of it all people to sell the anxiety of it all. And in this movie, she's given a lot more work to do to be like a fun, charming character that you like. And hmm. that that wasn't really at work in that first film, really. You know what I mean? Like, not that, again, they were fine, but it, the, the goal was not for you to think, wow, this person's like really fun to be around. She is. That's what that's what Libby is, Ewing is bringing to this, to this role while still allowing the film to have a deep well of anxiety. And uh, anyways, I don't want to go on too much about it. Uh, I'll have a review up. But by the time you're hearing this, I should have a review up. You can read more there. But uh, I, I'm, I'm intentionally vague there as well because this movie has some really satisfying surprises from the beginning, like literally the first 15 minutes until the end. I didn't see where this thing was going, um, and I really appreciated that. So uh, I, I want to recommend it. I don't think it's available yet outside of Fantasia. I think this might have been its premiere. So, But I can say keep an eye out for it when I consume you. Uh, the director's name is, I think, Perry Blackshear. Uh, I really think it's worth checking it out. Uh, just like that first film, filmed entirely in Brooklyn. Cast is like five people, uh, but it's really great. I will say there's one moment for me. So part of the part of the triumph here is that Perry Blackshear also filmed it. So it's like his cinematography. There's one moment where we're in the POV of one of the characters and they're really disoriented. And so we get like a shaky cam effect to represent how disoriented they are. And narratively it was entirely justified. It's not like you're watching a Bourne film, like this shaky cam, like it, it works in the movie, but I hate it. And it made me feel ill because shaky cam makes me feel bad. <laughs> it just does. It just, it's, I think if I was watching it in a theater and it, the camera had been that shaky, I would have to close my eyes because it just, it makes me feel gross. So I just, for those people who are sensitive to that, there's like a, like a 35 to 45 second sequence that will make you feel real uncomfortable. But otherwise this is a very well filmed, well directed, well acted movie that I, I, I personally feel like I can't recommend it enough. Interesting. Yeah, I I really want to see this movie now. I had no idea that that guy was making something again. Yep. Um. Uh. The other things I watched weren't strictly horror. The the closest thing is a South African film called Glass House. That's kind of a mashup of sci-fi and horror. Uh, I would definitely recommend that too. But it's it's less impactful. Like it's more like a like a B plus to be just 
you know, fest is the sort of film you would see at a festival and be like, oh, that was cool, but it, it won't have the lasting impact. Whereas when I consume you, I think it's not as upsetting as his first movie, but I still think it's it's pretty impactful. So uh, I want to recommend those two. If you're curious about other films I saw, uh, all those reviews should be up at cinepunks.com. Check them out. Uh, I highly recommend it. Other than that, I don't think I've watched a whole lot of other horror stuff. I mean, that's for Fantasia. I ended up covering five movies, uh, one of which I haven't written up yet. But uh, between that and stuff for podcasts, I, I feel like I did pretty good actually watching stuff. Uh, but a lot of the newer horror things that have come out recently, I haven't been able to catch yet. So, Justin, what have you done recently that involves horror? Well, I took part – well, not took part. I – um. I virtually attended the annual Popcorn Frights Film Festival. Um, I'm going to be honest. None of the movies I watched really stuck out to me. Oh, no. That, which was kind of a uh, shame. That's a bu- that's such a bummer when it's like a full, like, here's a bunch of movies. I'm going to try to watch as many as I can. And if none of them stick, that just feels bad. Yeah, I mean, none of them were. Actually, it's not true. There were a few. I'm not going to name any names. Um there were a few ones that were like legit bad, but like the ones that I had really high hopes for, um, didn't really blow my mind. The only one that really stuck out to me was, uh, I, I'm not going to try to pronounce the title in, um, I think it's German, but it's, it's called the house at the end of the forest, which sounds like a stupid title, but it's actually like, actually, you know what? This is the one movie I liked. I'll just fucking say it. Um, there was another movie. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the name of it. It's based on a short story by um, by a certain Charlotte Perkins. I'm not gonna say the name of it. It's a super creepy story. Um, I felt kind of let down by the movie. Um, I did watch The Night House though, which is in theaters right now. Um, I enjoyed it for the most part. I think you and I talked about it the very end. Oh, I forgot. So just so y'all know, I also saw The Night House and me and Josh talked about it because we went to the same. Well, we went to a screener on the same night. Obviously not the same screener because Josh was in Philadelphia and I was in Chicago. But it screened both places the same night and then we covered it on Cinepunks. But to give you guys an idea, we talked about it for 10 minutes because we both felt the same, which is. I think a lot of the movie is really great, but the ending really left a bad taste in both of our mouths where we I wouldn't say it's bad, but it took what could have been a really good movie and made it feel kind of cheap. I don't know. What did you think? Uh, I'll go along with that. Um, I think that it it deals with grief in an interesting way in the way that it shows a very unlovely side of coping like certain coping coping mechanisms. Agreed. Um, this there's a scene where the main character is out with her friends and she starts talking about her husband's uh, suicide, and the way she talks about it is like she's kind of sort of making light of it, and it's obviously making everyone else around her uncomfortable. And that is something that I myself have done with. Uh, I had a friend take his own life a few years ago. And there have been certain times in my life where I've talked about it, where I've been like, oh, yeah, like one time when we were kids, like we did this and then like, uh, yada, 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 he blew his head off. And like, that's absolutely not a cool thing for me to say. But at the same time, 
in that moment, I was feeling I'm either going to make a joke about this because it's bringing these emotions up. I'm either going to make a joke about it or start crying and I'm going to make a joke about it. Um, and that happens in this movie. And I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's showing of like a, a somewhat uh, non-romantic aspect of, 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 of coping, mm -hmm. um, which I appreciated. Um, but yeah, it's just like, the... I'll, so I, I'll get a little more positive on it and say this. For me, until the big reveal, which I don't want to spoil in case there are people listening who are going to see it, just because it's a new movie. Older movies will spoil, no problem. But this yeah. is like, it just came out. Um, up until the big reveal of what's going on in like big capital letters, I found it to be very tense, very well directed. I don't, I'm not a big jump scares person, but the few scares that were in it I thought were very effective. Yes. There was at least one moment that I screamed in the theater in an embarrassing <laughs> way. Um, and so I was really on board. And then when they had the big reveal of what's going on, at first I was in. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. This works. I'm into it. And then as they developed that over time, it got more and more loosey-goosey to me till it felt like they had the big idea of what the movie was, but they didn't have any good ideas about how to resolve that issue. And then the way it ended, it was both – the actual climax, which I thought was fine but underwhelming, and then they end it with a line that was to me felt so disrespectful to the seriousness of what the rest of the movie was, it made me doubt the intentions of the whole rest of the film. And I was like, oh, this is a fucking joke to you? Okay, good. Good to know. It just it felt it it made me mad. And it and and part of the reason it made me mad is because I think there are moments earlier in the film that are very good. Not the least being, I think some of the performances are very strong. I think the yes, actors absolutely. in this are carrying the thing. I do wonder if her neighbor is playing like the magical black man a little bit. Like, oh, I have this older black neighbor and he just knows all the things. That's a little bit of a trope that I don't love, but I don't uh, think I, it leaned I, on it too hard. No, I don't think it – I don't think it – I picked up on – like, okay, I see where you're coming from, but I think in this case it was literally just like, oh, yeah, um, I saw this thing happen. Uh, I thought you should know about it. Like, Yeah, it didn't feel like Bagger Vance, but it was like – I mean, literally the only characters of color are him and then one of the teachers who looks horrified, which, by the way, that dinner was the most I, – I would, in fact, argue that that dinner where – or I guess it's not dinner. It's like drinks where yeah. she's out with her colleagues is one of the best parts of the movie because it's so yeah, absolutely. legitimately uncomfortable, like made me feel bad in all the ways that you could feel bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, and, you know, before that, there's some real moments of anxiety. And one of the things that was kind of bothering me throughout the movie that I didn't quite understand was significantly resolved by the big reveal. But I think once they start exploring the big reveal, it just starts to feel like, uh, at the very least, the way the movie functions as like, kind of like, okay, let's compare it to When I Consume You, which or even They Look Like People. These are films that deal with real human pain through, you know, this sort of fictional artifice, right? I think by the time we get to the big sort of crux of it all, the thread of let's think about mourning kind of goes away. It kind of becomes not what you think it is. You know what I mean? And, and it, it started to like, 
you know, we've said before, like, if you can scare me, but also make me feel bad emotionally, then you've made like a truly great horror film. By the time it gets to some of the climax for me as a viewer, I'm like, well, now I just find some of the emotional stuff at the beginning cheap because I don't it, this this is turning into something where I don't feel like you've thought through all the implications of this cosmology you want me to buy into. It's just a lot. There's a lot there. Um, and and, it, and it's a lot there that they're trying to explain. It's not a movie where there's some ambiguous darkness that they never explained. Because I actually think that sort of thing is badass. They very much have worked out the details of this thing, but I don't think they have worked out the details, if that makes sense. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of rambling a little bit here, but that's I'm trying to like work through how I feel about so, it. So here's what I have to say about this. Um, did you read the article about the genesis for this movie? No, not at all. This film did not start as a Hellraiser script but it was inspired by a rejected Hellraiser pitch. And okay. if I can be completely honest, I'll, some of the elements in this movie do feel like they would be at home in a Hellraiser movie. Well, and there were certain, uh, some of the images that are used again, I don't want to spoil it, but some of the images that are used, fit exactly what you're saying, right? But they also logically don't make sense because they're not what we see in the movie. No, that's what I'm saying is I don't think that's a strength for this movie. I think nope. that they were try they they were trying to flesh flesh out that idea and they did it in the wrong way. I agree. I agree entirely. I mean, don't get me wrong, the parts that wouldn't really fit in a Hellraiser movie, I guess, I think were kind of strong because to the best of my knowledge, like um, like legitimate grief and of like yeah. good people doesn't really don't really belong in the Hellraiser universe. Yeah. Um, but reading that article and hearing David or reading, you know, seeing what David Bruckner had to say about it, I was like, okay, I, yeah, now that you mention it, it kind of does like some of the neater, the, the, the cooler mythos that doesn't get fucking fleshed out at all that they talk about in this be absolutely 100% feels like a like a Hellraiser film. It's just it's so mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't really want to bash the movie too bad cuz I don't want to I don't want to I don't want it to come across like I didn't enjoy this movie. Like I I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. It's just um well, I think it has the potential to be better than what it is, which is why we're being a little hard on it. I think in the scope of just a random modern horror movie that came out this year, it's pretty good. I I think there're going to be a lot of people listening to this who end up, you know, liking it. I yeah. just, I just think it had the potential to be better than what it was. And that is why I get frustrated. But if you were like, like if I was at a party and someone wanted to put it on, I wouldn't be like, no way. Fuck that. You know, it's, 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 a, it's pretty good. And like I said, it had some scares in it that straight up fucked me up. Like no joke. Yeah. It also depicted nightmares in a very in, in a way that I was like, oh, no, yep. that is what a nightmare is yes. like. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So the night house. Um, I also watched a little movie that I will not. How do I? OK, I'm not going to be kind because you know what? Kindness has no place on this earth. Stop. Well, it does. I'm just going to I'm going to. So Justin Lore is the Bruce Banner. I'm now going to be the Hulk who's just an asshole when it comes to talking about movies. Um, I watched a little movie called demonic. 
which was oh, okay. which was the newest Neil Blomkamp John. You have to say it like that, Blomkamp. Um, he's South African. Fuck him. He's a colonizer. Uh, Stop. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna lie. The trailer for this movie. It had me like, eh, yeah, you know, like I was kind of intru- like, I was like, eh, this is you know, camp, You know, I, I didn't hate District 9 and I didn't watch Chappie or Elysium. So I, I can't have an opinion either way on those movies, but I'm going to, I can assume that they're good and no one can tell me otherwise. And if they do tell me otherwise, I'll just hold my ears and hum loudly so I can't hear those differing opinions. The trailer looked intriguing. And the idea of this film the central idea is fascinating and the actual story of the movie sans the ending is equally fascinating uh the rest of the movie around that is so fucking bad i had to turn i i I could not finish this movie and if you know me you know it takes quite a bit to make me not be able to finish a movie. Right. Um, I don't know how this movie ended. I turned it off when there was a, when a uh, team of Vatican commandos was summoned to deal with a demon. That's when I was like, it's happening out. Um, I don't, there's no way this movie can come back from this. There's no way it can come back from Vatican commandos. And I guess I know I'm aware of the joke I'm making right now. <laughs> there's, there's, I get it. There's there's no way you can come back from like an elite team of trained killers by the Pope. Like I'm done. I'm fucking. I'm I'm walking out of the theater. So stupid. <sighs> I mean, I, I I think this is totally fine for you to shit on this movie because. This is not some small. This is the. This is a dude who's gotten, in my mind, too many chances. That's that's how I feel about this particular director. Uh, that doesn't mean absolutely. He, it doesn't mean he can't eventually make a good movie. There are a million Italian directors we could talk about. Yes, it who, does. Whose 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 record is fifty fifty. So then again, I don't know if this dude hits fifty fifty yet. So name one. What directors who are name 50-50? one? Uh, 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 Umberto Lenzi. Italian directors. False, false accusation. Come on, you libel. That's libel. You're not on board with every. You haven't even tried to watch every Alberto Lenzi movie. Don't don't start with me. That's my point, and I, I you can't. I can't say it's fifty fifty. I can assume, and but I, I, until I'm proven wrong, perfect filmography. Look, look, look. That's not flawless. The point, the point here is flawless. I'm not going to make some claim that this dude is never going to make a good movie, but he's been given a lot of chances now. And I think that if people want to say I'm done with this dude, I think that's okay, because it's it's too many chances at this point. And I'm Look, tired. Of, and I'm tired of him saying, "By the way, my Alien was going to be great." All right, yeah. we get it. You're mad that yeah. you didn't get to make Alien. Fuck you. I'm just tired of hearing about it. No, it's like if, if like you could do okay. My feelings on the Vicious Brothers are well documented. I thought Grave Encounters was not great. The second Grave Encounters, whatever. But the things those dudes do after that, I was like, okay, this stuff isn't like mind blowing, but it warrants paying attention. This is like, this is the fucking third movie that this dude has made that has been so goddamn underwhelming and forgettable. I just, 
I don't know. I, I, I like, and what's weird is I, I keep seeing like people like hyping this guy up and I'm like, what has he done in the last 10 years that warrants being excited about? Some people do love Chappie. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some people also fucking really want Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield to be in No Way Home. Doesn't mean it's a good idea. Doesn't mean they have good taste in movies. You don't think they're going to be in it? No, I do. And I think it's a fucking stupid idea. I only think it's a stupid idea because I want uh, Miles Morales. That's the only that reason make, I'm not on board. Is because no, that would make se- no, that would make sense because Miles is already in the fucking universe. We know he's in that universe. Right. Anyway. Suggesting that um, all three of these white boys are just different versions of the same white boy doesn't make sense because they're clearly different people who don't look anything alike and don't act alike. It's different in a comic book when there are five Peter Parkers because they're all Peter. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Bringing in those guys is, I think, going to be too much winking at the camera. And I think that. No, exactly. I think that wanting a multiverse doesn't mean we want meta humor. I want a multiverse. I want Marvel. I've wanted Marvel to have the multiverse since the first fucking movie. I'm into it. I love the idea. I think it's great. It's not then licensed to have a ton of jokes. Some jokes, if they want to keep bringing Howard the Duck in as a fucking punchline and multiple properties, I'm fucking in. That was the point. That's who Howard is. I'm into it. I love it. But that's a small element, right? To have a whole plot element that that turns into like a hey, we're having fun over here doesn't it doesn't work to me. Now, I don't know how it's going to play in the movie. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. I'm I'm a little more optimistic, but that's the only reason I'm optimistic is because and we've talked about this before. My criticism of Marvel movies, other than the clear militarism of a lot of these movies, is that um, I always think they can be weirder. Every Marvel movie, even the ones I love, I'm like, could have gone weirder. Wish they went a little weirder. Yeah. Because I think the comics are fucking insane. They're, try to explain a single long plot arc to anyone who doesn't read comic books, and they will look at you like something is wrong with your brain. Every longer story arc of comic books throughout time is fucking strange. It's a weird thing. And when you try to tell a civilian about it, they're like, yeah, I don't know why you like that. You know what I'm saying? The movies- You don't have to explain long story arcs. It's true. <laughs> explain explain Requiem for the, the, the Silver Surfer Requiem comic. Like four issues. Explain right. that to a person who knows who the Silver Surfer is. They'll look at you like you grew a second head. It's- so I that's what I that's what I'm always looking for. So the idea when I saw this trailer, all I thought was, oh, it feels like they're going kind of weird and, and strange with it. I'm kind of into that. But I also want them I want them to tread very lightly around the relationship of this movie. Guys, this is not a Marvel podcast. I swear we'll move on in a second. But I, <laughs> I want the, I want them to tread very lightly about the relationship between the events of Spider-Man Far From Home and the events of Loki, because in the past, Marvel has done everything they could to be like, you should watch the TV shows. And then the movie's been like, the TV shows, fuck that shit. That's got nothing to do with us. And I feel like when they revealed Kang and Loki, I thought, okay, this is proof positive that these shows are as important to the canon as the movies. And so therefore have weight to them. They matter. They're not 
just silly side quests we'll ignore later or retcon. They have weight. And then when I saw the trailer, I thought, well, we're still, I mean, we're getting Kang in a later movie, right? So what happened in Loki matters, right? Like this has an impact, right? And I'm worried that they might not work in any of the events of Loki as having any impact on what's happening in the movie. And I'm kind of like not excited about that, but we'll see. I'm also not someone that's willing to judge something just from a trailer. I'm mostly excited because uh, other than the fact that I actually think Benedict Cumberbatch, is that his name? Did I say it right? I don't, I don't want to yes. make fun of his name. Um, I don't actually think he's good as Dr. Strange. I know a lot of people love him. I don't think he brings anything to that role, even though I like the Dr. Strange movie, actually. I don't like it because of him. I just think he's, he's a okay. He's like perfectly acceptable. He's totally adequate as Dr. Strange. And that, that still kind of bums me out a little bit. Yeah. I think, uh, Tom Holland, that's his name, right? The Spider-Man. Yes. I think he brings something to that role. His his Peter Parker slash Spider-Man is unique and interesting. Uh, and I just don't feel that way about And this is just my opinion. People can disagree. I won't be offended. I don't feel that way about Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. And I don't think it's him as an actor because I think he's had other roles that I thought were interesting. He brought something to the role. Who, Tom Holland? No, Benedict Cumberbatch. I, don't make me keep saying his name because every time <laughs> every time I say it, I think, am I saying it wrong? Because I don't look, it's fun to make fun of his name because he's an uptight white guy, but it's just a joke that's gotten so old that I'm just tired of it now. Fair enough. Anyway, I also started rewatching the X-Files, which counts as horror. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think I'm yeah. watching. I don't um, think I'm watching any other shows that are horror. Um, and in fact, I'm kind of looking for a fun horror show. So if any of our listeners want to recommend me anything, uh, feel free. Uh, I did. Oh, I did watch. I don't know if it counts as horror or not, but I did watch two episodes of that show evil and I don't know what to make of it yet. So uh, I'll keep watching and I'll let people know. Tight. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to talk about 1979s. First, we'll be right back. Vampires, perverted creatures of the night. This ancient evil is now a modern industry backed by big money. Specialists in abduction, brainwashing, and murder. We're simply a superior race of people who, over the centuries, have proved that the drinking of the vital human essence confers youth, power. Chantal Contouri is Kate. She's young. She's in love. She's the next victim of thirst. Thirst is in all of us. Not in me! Not me. The family as noble as hers, I'm sure the old... the old thirst will not have died out. David Hemmings and Henry Silva are the doctors of the diabolical. Welcome to the Brotherhood, Miss Davis. Baroness. 
Their human farm is a living nightmare where science goes mad. The dairy brings our lifestyle up to date. Each carefully selected blood cow is absolutely free from anti-tetanus serum, pollens, and antibiotics. You can run. You can hide. But you cannot escape. Thirst. And we are back to talk about 1979's Australian horror film directed by Rod Hardy. <laughs> oh my God. 1979's Thirst. Okay. Now. Question, Liam. When yes. you watch this, yes. What movie? What movie did you think of when you were watching it? What did this movie remind you of, plot-wise? Not Ghost Dog because it had Henry Silva in it. Like, think not so superficial. I don't know. I don't have anything that comes to my mind right away. Why? What did it make you think of? Uh, it reminded me of. Oh fuck! Now I forget which which Blade movie is it where they find the fucking people? They find the blood farm. Is that Blade Two? I guess it's Blade Two. Yeah. That's what that's what I thought of. It's been and, so long since I've watched a Blade movie, I don't remember. Because <laughs> you're waiting for the for the Benedict Cumberbatch Blade movie. Yeah, I mean please, the, please. Jesus Christ. I know you the just Mahershala jumped on Ali. That. Yes, I I mean I really am, but yeah, no, no, no. I I mean I like Blade One and Two. Blade Three is trash, but I enjoyed both of the first two Blades when they came out. But I haven't felt the need to revisit them. So. Anyway, there's a scene where they 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 find Blade finds out that the vampires are, are harvesting humans um, for blood. It also made me think of uh, that movie Daybreakers with uh, Ethan Hawke and sure. yeah 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 Sam Neill and I want to say Willem Dafoe. Did I just imagine that part of that movie? Was he in that? I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen that too. Oh fuck! I hope so. I don't know anyway, if, I don't know if he was actually. I, I I'm gonna say I really hope I'm not imagining Willem Dafoe in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was with those movies. I feel that they really missed an opportunity to to to, to go in, in an interesting place with that idea of. No, you're right. Willem harvesting. Dafoe. Willem Dafoe was in Daybreakers. Oh, thank Christ. Um, I thought the idea there, there there were some cool ideas floating around in, in the idea of this of these vampires harvesting human beings for blood. I think this is the first movie where uh that is a plot point that actually, you know, as clumsy as the rest of this movie is, I actually think that um this movie kind of does uh make a solid statement about uh you know we talk about a lot capitalism and how it affects mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. you know and and, and how, how it's affected the world like i think this movie with this idea of this 
See, now I can't say elites because the fucking Q people have ruined that. Well, um, this is – no, I think that's fair because this is a movie that deals with class, but it deals with class in a very British way. Like like in America when we say class, it, it gets a little squishy because we all know very rich people who are actually like inhuman garbage. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like there's this – the way that new money works in America, it kind of changes class from the British sense in which – in England, you could be upper class and be fucking broke, especially post World War II. You know yeah. what I mean? But you're you're somehow connected to this elite group of people, right? And this Australian film is sort of taking that idea and putting it into a cult of people who are convinced that they are descendants of vampires. But it's important to say, for those of you who haven't seen this yet, it's not clear for a lot of the movie that these people are actually vampires. Mm -hmm. They are just people who think it's their right to live off the blood of other people. And the people whose blood they're taking are kind of okay with it. Not everyone is, but like they're kind of like, yeah, I guess that's right. They're... They're the fucking vampires and we're the the blood cows, I guess. That's just how it is. I don't know. And that aspect of it, both the conviction, um, not just of the bad people in the movie, but even the like endearing ones are still like monsters. You know what I mean? Um, that combined with the conviction of many of the people getting drained that like, well, I guess this is what we got to do is part of what makes this movie kind of haunting. Yes. Uh I also like how can I say this? Uh one of the things I I I don't know if this is gonna go off quite clear. This was a great example, I think, of there being an audience surrogate. Sure, yeah. In a in a movie like this that worked in a way that a lot of times it doesn't. And again, I, I I don't want to say this is this movie is not like this amazing act of cinema. Um, it just I mean does, I disagree, but you're you know welcome to your opinion. Yeah, I'm 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 known to be. I've made a fucking lifetime of, I've, of error. I have stop, a fucking track stop, record of being stop, wrong. Stop, stop. No, but what I'm saying is, is like this is a very simple plot device. Agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That this movie executed almost perfectly. That so many other movies haven't. Like. This movie could have very easily been dragged down with like bullshit exposition and clumsy fucking nonsense. And a little of the movie is like kind of cartoonish. Like, I don't know, like, you know, I love Henry Selva, but like every that dude is always like kind of like. Uh, we need a we need a snidely whiplash in the flesh with no mustache. Yeah, I see what Silva's doing. They like, bring him in. Um, but. There's just something about the way this character reacts, who is supposedly this uh, descendant of fucking what's her face. Um, oh, uh, that Lady Bathory. Lady Bathory, yeah. And again, do they ever actually confirm that she's actually like related to her, or, or is that just something these fucking lunatics believe? They, they just believe it. Who knows? Yeah. So it's like it. They do this like the the this this. This film does a really good job of showing like an average person being uh, drawn into this fucking insane plot where these crazy people are bleeding other people dry and saying, not only are we vampires, but like you are a member of this like ancient bloodline. And this woman is like, fuck all of that. Like, and the, I, I just kind of. 
I didn't really like at the end how she kind of like what I took away from anyway. She was sort of like, well, I guess like it is what it is. You know, I'm I'm going to go ahead and do this. Um, I just that was like the one thing I really, really liked about this movie is how like she was such a such it did such a good job of uh, of treating her as an audience surrogate. I think that's true. What did, what, 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 what did you like about this movie, Liam? I love this movie. I think what I love about it is, first of all, you could say that this is one of the more unique takes on a vampire story. It is interesting that the other one I would mention is also titled Thirst. Yes. <laughs> that actually both thirsts. Uh, the Korean one that is, and this one, I think are some of the most unique perspectives on a vampire story. Um, and I think because of the vibe of the movie, I'm going to slightly disagree on the ending just because I think it kind of represents the way that a system can conform someone no matter how hard they're trying to fight it. I think if it had ended on a more hopeful note, that would have felt cheaper to me. Just from my perspective, I just feel like it, it had to have a, a bit of a the kind of a darker ending in that sense. Um, but mostly what I like about it is how it takes this idea and it runs with it. And it doesn't ever, even though I think the film, you could watch this movie and say, maybe these people are really what's left of vampires. But I, I think that it's pretty clear that that isn't what's important. What's important is... There's no real reason. Even if these people live off of human blood, in theory, they certainly don't have any powers. No one can fly. No one. There's something about uh, like the classic vampire that when he says, "Well, I'm clearly better than you. Look at all the shit I can do." Some part of you, and this is part of the heart of the thing, goes. I mean, he is pretty fucking unbelievable, right? They can fly. He can fly. Turns into a wolf. Lives forever. He's Gary Oldman. These are just normal people. Even if it's true that they are the descendants of vampires, nothing they do except for the moments where they play pretend to be vampires, nothing they do is vampire-y. They're not immortal. They are awake during the day. They can't fly. They can't turn into anything. You know, the the and, and I get that there's, you know, that could be seen as just a genre decision of like, we're making more realistic vampires. But I don't think that's what they're doing. I think what they're showing no, not is at all. that People can use legends to justify all. I mean, what is the difference between these people and colonists who enslave indigenous people? Because they're like, well, we're Christians. And so we're helping them. It's the same. Fu- like everything they say in the movie is what colonizers and racists say. It's exactly yeah. what's going on in the film. And even uh, what's the what's the supposedly nice vampire, the actor's name? I forget what his name is. Uh, is it? Hold on, I'm gonna find it real quick. Feel free to uh, edit around this. Uh, David Hemmings. Yes, David Hemmings, who I know primarily from Deep Red, though he's been in other things as well. Um, even he, it's revealed, is just the compassionate racist, right? The 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 in a colonial context, he'd be the one who's like, "No, I like it here. I like these. I like these not white people who like work on our plantation." He's, like he he is the Rudard Kipling of this movie. Uh, yeah, that might be right. That might be right. I, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about Kipling to say other than that he's racist. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he as much as he wants so much of this to be less exploitative than it is, he still wants the exploitation, right? He just wants a compassionate version of it. 
He wants a more softer version of the same system of dominance, right? Yeah, it's called liberalism. Uh, yeah, I wasn't going to say it, but yes, that's true. I mean, he very much probably would have voted for Bill Clinton. I'm just saying. So <laughs> uh, the point but the point I'm trying to make, though, is just this, that the, all of those aspects are really interesting to me. And as you know, if we discussed on the show before, I'm already pretty much used to like cheap exploitation films. So the fact that like thirst is just an exploitation take on vampires, that's really smart. It takes all of the like low budget, trying to get our shit together aspects of any Australian horror film and then is like actually really clever in its plot. And that's enough for me to like be like, this movie's fucking awesome. Now, is it a bit cheap? Is it not like the most dynamic or exciting movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. It's no whatever the kids like nowadays. Life Force. It's not Life Force. Well, that's an unfair. That's unfair. Nothing is life. Nothing is life force. Yeah, true. I, I was going to say something modern. If you're, if you are someone who needs the constant cutting and and fun CGI of a modern movie, this might seem weird to you. But I, I, I would compare it to like, you know, when we were talking about uh, the, what was the British movie that I liked and you hated uh, recently that we did? Uh, Demon Seed. Um. Yes. 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 Uh. It's not as boring as Demon Seed, but if you can handle a movie like Demon Seed, you're going to like you some thirst, huh? It it definitely has more moments of them talking than it does of, like, vampire shit happening. But there I was is, totally okay with that. I put to you there is no actual vampire shit in this movie. Because, like, there's a ceremony where an old lady is pretending to be a vampire. That's yes. the most vampire shit that happens. And it's, like, clearly not real, you know? Yeah, and they give her, like, the fucking prosthetic fangs and all this shit, and it's like. <sighs> the movie just, I, I again, I'm saying it's ambiguous. I actually don't think it's ambiguous, but I think it's it's more that the movie doesn't have to tell you. There's no moment where the movie goes, just so you know, these motherfuckers aren't vampires. <laughs> they don't do that. They don't hold your hand. They just assume, like, look, you. It, it, Again, it's the surrogate idea. She clearly doesn't believe this shit is real, but it's hard for her not to be seduced by it a little bit because she's been put into a whole system that's telling her this is real. This is who you are. And they're pounding it into her, pounding, pounding, pounding into her. And they even murder her lover and offer her his blood. Like at a that certain scene was kind of fucked. It was so fucked. that was. Kind of, yeah, that scene at the end when like, what's his face? This so-called benevolent doctor and he's like look what i did and the dude is just like like oh I, I didn't i don't know well i think what this movie does that's really interesting right is like if you take let's say i mean there are lots of vampire legends but let's say one of the first like strong influential narratives around vampires is dracula right Dracula becomes just a metaphor for like sexual anxiety and disease and stuff like that. It's 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 all this kind of uh, fear of the foreigner coming in and corrupting our young women and all this kind of stuff. Right. And it's kind of sexist, but whatever. Um, yeah. It doesn't play on the other thing that I think is at play with vampires, which is like if vampires are real. Right. In a sense, why wouldn't they be the worst kind of elitist capitalists? You know what I mean? Like they're literally a group of people that are like, yeah, there's all these other humans around that are very similar to us, but they exist just to feed us. They're just our fucking cattle. And there are other vampire narratives that explore this idea. But for my money, this is one of the best ones 
to at least the best in the way it, it explores this idea inherent to a lot of vampire lore that really conflates vampirism with uh, elite classes, especially royalty. Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of the few things that I think Daybreakers did right was a casting Sam Neill as a villain, which yes. is never never a bad idea, and then. I, I think it was in that movie, it was played only for really like cheap, like jump scares. But the, the, the idea that like there were like, it wasn't just vampires and humans in that movie. Yeah. It was vampires. And then there was like the other, like less evolved, the like weird, like fucking Morlock vampires. Yeah. Um, and like, I think the most chilling thing about this movie is that it doesn't, they, it doesn't view humans as, um, as, 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 as food. It sees these people as a product. Like yeah. a, if there's an, yeah. a, there's an absolute objectification and de, de, uh, humanizing of these people. And I, you know, what Liam said earlier is that they would be the worst kind of capitalist overlords. That is exactly what they are, is that they don't even give these people like the dignity of being people. If you, They're if just you, fucking if you wanted to, you could say this could be seen as a as a uh, commentary on factory farming, right? That like absolutely the relationship to a guy who's got a couple of cows in his yard is different than a company with one thousand meat bags and milk machines in a factory who couldn't possibly connect with the these things existence. They're just there to produce sellable product, and that's the only reason they exist. Yeah, this you know in a sense. A vampire who like seduces a person with a name and then drinks from their neck is far more compassionate than these motherfuckers who have turned these people just into sources of blood that then they put in fucking milk cartons. Like Gary Oldman in in Francis Ford Coppola's classic fucking modern goddamn classic fairy tale Dracula, he is such a considerate son of a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll go with that. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I, I do think it's like the worst case scenario. Like, as much as it's very likely these people are not actual vampires, they've definitely taken the vampire lore and made it into the worst case scenario, really. Yeah. Let's say they're not vampires. Great. They're still murdering people yeah, on a exactly. mass scale. Also, what I will say that the only evidence, the only reason I'll say the movie is a little ambiguous about whether they're vampires or not is like if a bunch of people were actually only living off of human blood, they would die. There would be diseases like things would go very wrong for them. That's not actually yeah. a source of sustenance. But, you know, you, you catch on pretty quickly. The movie isn't about realism. It's about pushing this analogy for all it's worth. And I think they really do. Yes. All right, so that was 1979's Thirst. Um, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about 1990's made-for-television um, Wings Hauser vehicle, and also starring some other fucking guy who I don't even... I'm not even going to say his name. I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> Pale Blood. We'll be right back.
sangre caliente. Con George Akiris y Winshauser. Una historia de vampiros. Diferente, original. Sugestiva y sensual. Caliente. And we are back to talk about 1990s Pale Blood. Um, this movie was melodramatic as hell and fell every inch of the 90s and... I would argue that since this movie came out in 1990, this movie heralded an entire fucking feeling of movies. Uh, God, uh, I don't know where to fucking start with this movie. Um, even though, obviously, Wingshauser is the most like prominent person in this movie, the main guy who off Mike Liam and I have George, decided we're not gonna George Chakiris. Say his fucking name. You said his name. I mean, name. he was in West Side Story. Oh, oh, in that case. Oh, West Side Story. Cool. I read Romeo and Juliet when I was 13, too. And wait, wrote fanfic wait a minute, about wait it. a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you dissing West Side Story? Oh, I wrote fanfic, too. I mean, consider, what about when Bucky and Steve, they have I'm, sex? I'm what not about gonna, that? I'm not going to waste. I'm not even going to waste time arguing with you because, uh, you know, my other co-host, Josh Alvarez, will will do that for me since that's literally his favorite movie of all time. Oh, I'm Josh Alvarez. I'm the nicest guy in the world. I, uh, West Side Story. <laughs> uh. To be fair, it's probably because all of the Mexican characters are played by Filipinos might be part of the yeah uh, 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 appeal to him, but I'm not sure. I've never seen that movie. I'm sure it's fine. I just wanted to fucking rustle some feathers. I know. I know. Which I did. So mission accomplished. Um, so yeah, this movie, super dramatic. Um, Agent Orange is in this movie and it's fucking awesome. I just want to quick correct you. It's not made for TV. It was direct to video. Oh, yes. I thought it was a little because I was watching. I was thinking about it going. It's even though it's not that racy, it's a little racy for director TV. So I looked it up on Wikipedia. It was never released in theaters, though. It was direct to VHS straight up like which people who know about movie, you know what that means. What it, direct to VHS is a kind of movie. And this is definitely that kind of movie. That being said. I also fucking love that Agent Orange is in this movie. These are not my favorite Agent Orange songs or anything, but just the fact that they're no. in the movie performing is off. It's fucking awesome. And honestly, talk about a band that was destined to perform in a low budget horror movie. Agent Orange is one of those bands. Absolutely. Uh, I was. Have you seen Doctor Alien? No, never. Are you familiar? Have you heard of it? No. Uh, you. Watch Doctor Alien because it has one of the few actually good songs, like like in a punk band, like in a, like an eighties sci fi movie. Um, Agent Orange should have been in that movie as well. I feel that. Can I just read you the plot for this movie on Wikipedia? What it says? Oh yeah, I was just looking at it because the end of the paragraph is perfect. Yes, please read it so people know what this movie's about. <clears throat> 
Michael Fury arrives in Los Angeles to investigate a series of mysterious high-profile murders where the victims have been completely drained of blood. Aiding him in his quest is Lori, a junior member of the investigative firm who was obsessed with the occult. Unbeknownst to her, Fury is himself a vampire. Yet, unbeknownst to Fury, Lori has been keeping a little surprise hidden too. Um, which is, which is, by the way, a total spoil. No one who reads this is gonna go. Uh, I don't know what that could be. Anyone who reads this would go, "Oh, she's also a vampire." Is that the surprise that she's a vampire? Yeah. She's also a vampire. <laughs> okay, good. I got it. Um, oh, she's also, a vampire. Cool. Also, this is one of this is a movie that I haven't seen. I'm sure this exists, but this is the first time I've seen it. This is a movie set in L.A. Filmed almost entirely in Hong Kong. Oh yeah, this is a co-Chinese production. I think it was released on video in China first, actually. Um, it was co-directed by an American director and a Hong Kong action director. Excuse me. And it does have a little bit, not much, but a little bit of like a Hong Kong action vibe. But I'll tell you, Hong Kong for L.A., not convincing. And, and, except for, I would say, maybe the they use some stock footage. So obviously that feels like L.A. And I kind of felt like the Agent Orange performance was probably in L.A. I doubt they fit, flew Agent Orange to Hong Kong to film them for this movie. They probably took that footage. I guarantee they didn't. Yeah. I, I'm sure that footage was in L.A. But everything else that's the actual movie, I'm watching it thinking, this does not feel like Los Angeles to me. The only other place I'll say that maybe I could see where it kind of walks a line, the apartment that the vampire Fury stays in, which looks a lot like the apartment from RoboCop. Yes. It looks insanely similar to the apartment from RoboCop, except for I know- You mean the- Go ahead. I was going to say, you mean the apartment that like Boddicker lives in? Yes. It looks, okay, ex- yeah. it looks exactly like Boddicker. It almost looks like they just filmed in Boddicker's apartment, except for Robocop was not filmed in Hong Kong. So I know that is not his apartment. But when he first walked in, I'm like, oh, it's a set of Robocop. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> cool Robocop appearance in yeah. this movie. It honestly, like, even not to toot my own horn, which I frequently do. Um, the one thing that screamed not LA about this movie was the fucking lighting because yeah. like, like they should, okay. Crash course in a, you know, filmmaking. This is your hard business, uh, bullshit tip factoid of the episode. Um, movies shot in LA have a specific look because of the, the sodium arc lights that are unfortunately being phased out in Los Angeles. Sure. Um, this movie doesn't have that because, like that's a very specific LA thing. And that's why movies in LA look so fucking, especially from this time period, why movies in LA look so good is that, that, that weird dreamy lighting, which this movie does not have. Um, I would have, this movie felt like, and I don't know why this felt like it was shot in Toronto. Uh, even though, like you said, it was shot in what Hong Kong. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I mean, not that it matters, I wasn't watching this movie going, fuck that. I'm not buying this. This isn't in LA, but I was definitely like, yeah, I, I know this isn't in LA in the same way that like, I know they didn't shoot, uh, I don't know, world war Z in Philadelphia. Sure. That makes sense. It doesn't make sense, but thank you for saying it makes sense. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's not distracting, but it is pretty clear that you're like, this doesn't feel like, I mean, I didn't know it was Hong Kong when I was watching it, but, um, 
Yeah, I want to agree with you that this is a very 90s movie. It feels exceedingly 90s. Um, it feels like the sort of movie you were watching on Cinemax in the 90s. I don't yes. know if you were watching Cinemax in the 90s, but anyone out there who maybe circa 19, let's say 94 to 98, was upper later than you should, had Cinemax on. Hoping got, to see tits. You got fingers crossed there's going to be some sort of nudity. By the way, this movie doesn't really have nudity, does it? I guess it does a little bit. Um, but uh, you fingers crossed you're hoping for some nudity. This is exactly that kind of movie. It has that vibe. It almost, even though it's filmed in Hong Kong, it almost has elements of neon slime, which is the sort of subgenre of... Uh, later 80s uh, exploitation movies that were filmed specifically in Hollywood. It it, it okay. feels like it's trying to be that kind of movie, which BT dubs, quite a few of those movies featured our own Wings Hauser. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's not that. It, it doesn't really get there because a it's pretty mild when it comes to both sexuality and violence. There is sexuality in this movie, but it doesn't pour over into being a fucking sweaty, ugly mess. It's it's definitely not that. Uh, and, and B, well, again, <laughs> for a movie in which there's both a vampire and a serial killer, not quite as gooey and bloody as it could be either. Um both of which may hit some of our listeners as criticisms. I don't mean them as mu- as such. For a movie that is direct to VHS, super low budget, uh, and doesn't have a lot of sort of uh, lusty violence in it, I still found this movie like very entertaining. I, I I didn't have any expectations of it. I didn't know anything about it other than Vinegar Syndrome had put it out. That was the entirety of what I knew. When when Wings Hauser showed up, because I didn't even look at the at the cast list, Wings Hauser shows up, I'm like, fuck yes, let's do this thing. <laughs> and then as it goes on, it's really a film where he gets to be a real slimy weirdo, which is of course peak Wings Hauser. That's oh, what absolutely. you want. That's what you want from him. And while I didn't think uh Fury was a particularly compelling actor our main vampire guy he doesn't really have to be he's an uptight european vampire that clearly doesn't want to be there so like he's kind of okay in that role what we needed was this like cubby investigator to be charming and interesting and i thought she fucking was in fact i would say that uh all three of the main female characters in this movie even the ones who exist more to be like victimized are still kind of fun and interesting which is like not what i was expecting at all you know um uh, and there is other than the main dude which is it's a problem that the main dude is a little bit wooden and maybe not super compelling. His performance is the only one that stuck out to me as like, not good. I felt like everyone else was pretty like enjoyable in the film. And you know, nothing about this is like a groundbreaking vampire movie, but like if I was up in 1997 and this movie came on Cinemax, I would have made it through the whole thing, even at like two in the morning. This is a fun movie. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a little, It's a little heavy on the cheese, especially with the the, the, the actor fair, who plays fair. The, the actor who plays Fury is like f- quietly chewing the scenery the whole time, and not in like an entertaining way that like Wings Hauser is. Like, you get the feeling that the director's instructions to him were like, "I need you to be like quiet and tortured," and he's 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 in such agony that some degenerate would would befoul the vampires name by by murdering his victims um that it's i don't i it it was almost comical how 
how much he suffers, especially when he first meets this reporter and he's like, well, who says they have to kill them? Why can't they just take blood? And you're like, oh, yeah, you're the you're the you're the vampire just wants to peacefully coexist, which is a cool idea. I'm not going to lie. But this guy is so goddamn dramatic about it that it really does dance on the edge of absurd. Like it's not too much and it doesn't push it into the boundaries of like absolute shit, but it does it in a way that it like it hits that sweet spot of like unwatchable and like dull if that makes any sense i think it does i it didn't bother me that much i i i i i disagree with you but i will say i don't totally disagree with you because if i had to say is there anyone in the movie that maybe should have been played by somebody else he's the guy everyone else like not that they're amazing but i was like yeah this is fun i'm enjoying this he is a little bit much i i i am inclined though to say i don't know if it's him as an actor, or if it's what the director wanted from him, I literally don't know. David Carradine would have made that 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 role awesome. Yeah, you're probably right. I think that's fair. But this production couldn't afford David Carradine in 1990. I, yeah, I still think it could. I bet you they spent all their money on Wings. True, I think, fair I think, enough. I think Wings Hauser was the whole production. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, and and you know, if that's the case, money well spent. He carries Absolutely. a lot of this movie. There's just something about the 1990ness of this movie that I really. I mean, if it came out in 1990, it wasn't filmed in 1990. But there's just something about it being from that late 80s, early 90s thing that really works for me. Um, and there's just something about the the kind of melding together of these stories where this is a vampire movie and this is a crazed, weird, psychotic killer. And also the idea that our murderer is a descendant of Van Helsing. Fucking. I love it. Italian hands, Italian stereotype hands. It was being racist against Italians right now because I love it so much. It was almost as good as the, uh, the reveal in Dracula 2000 that, He's Judas Iscariot. He's no, that Judas was bad. Is- no, that was bad. <laughs> the he's Judas Iscariot thing was my least favorite moment in any theater ever, I think. Yeah. No, that's not true. The turkey baster in Don't Breathe was my least f- favorite movie. Oh, movie yeah. Um, anyways, point is, I, I again, for me, uh, let's put it this way. I thought this movie was fun in the way that other people describe movies as fun to me that I think are stupid. So like if 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 I if you're telling me a movie's fun and I'm like, I don't know, I just think it's kind of stupid, and you say, What movie do you think of as fun? I think this movie's pretty fun. It's not yeah. the most fun. And I, you know, I think you're probably right. If someone else had been in our main role, this movie would have gone from pretty fun to like a real good time. Um, but I do think our main dude, he's kind of like a he's kind of dragging the movie down a little bit. But, yeah, I, but I didn't not have a- enough for me not to like the movie. Yeah, I didn't have a bad time. Like, let me be clear. I, like this movie, I was like, no, this is this is what I expect. You know, this is exactly what I expect from from a film from this period of this sort of strange subgenre of horror. Yeah, but you know, I do. I, again, I think the vampire detective of it all was kind of cool to me. Um, and of course, I mean, we've already said it, but the reveal, the corniest part of the movie played out in a way that was so corny that I felt we tripped into like something that could be considered camp, which is when, you know, this 
delicate, sensitive, possibly psychic private detective, bada bing, bada boom, is turns out to be a vampire. Hey. It, it was so stupid that then it brought me back around to it. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. All right. This is what we're doing. I got it. And in fact, I thought, man. She, I, I kind of wish she had been the vampire the whole time. That she's a much more compelling actor than this other dude who was the main absolutely, a hundred percent. So I don't, I don't know. I, I wish there was more to say about it. I will say, like, um, uh, the, the the there's something going on here where, despite the fact that this woman who turns out as a vampire has some sort of psychic powers. The idea that vampires don't automatically know that someone is a vampire and thus are very lonely because they don't want to reveal to everyone that they're not going to like be out to dinner and be like, by the way, are you a vampire? Oh, you're not. Okay. Sorry. 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 Good, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, they, they, that idea that they're just wandering the earth, hoping maybe they'll find a vampire someday. I actually kind of like it. I don't know that the movie makes as much hay of it as it could, but that's sort of the idea that, that, uh, you know, Hasselhoff's character is trying to find a vampire. Our main vampire is not trying to find a vampire per se, but like is open to it. And then it turns out this lady who's trying to connect with him spends the whole movie trying to like, Hey, I don't know. You seem like you could be a vampire. And he just keeps being like, that's crazy. Vampires aren't real. What a crazy person. You're such a crazy person. It, it was, I found it kind of compelling and I wondered, I don't know this. I'm not the one to say I'd rather ask someone else about this than say it myself. But I did wonder if there was perhaps a queer subtext to what was going on. Um, I could see that. I'm not saying it's there, but there's just something about the idea that like, oh, wait, you're what? Okay. Yes, I am one. Okay. We're both vampires. Good. Good to know. You know what I mean? There's just something about that that I thought was interesting, but I, I will say this movie is not the kind of intellectual fair that could have a good idea like that and play it with any sort of nuance. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's part of the plot, but it's, this movie is not interested in being like, let's explore the eternal loneliness of not being able to tell people who you really are. It's like, yeah, they don't know. It's cool. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's less interested in it, but it, it still was kind of fun to see it. Yeah, no, I can, I can vibe with that. Yeah. I, it is really, for those of anyone listening who hasn't seen it, it is fucking ridiculous when it reveals. It's just like, and also the idea that she's a vampire who's obsessed with kitschy vampire culture. I can't tell if that's awesome or ridiculous, but I'm going to go with awesome. It's definitely awesome. <laughs> All right. So that was Pale Blood. And that's our uh, that's our episode, our, our second horny vampire episode in a row. I think we can promise that next episode will not be a horny vampire episode. It'll be a horny werewolf episode. <laughs> yes. So... Other than the howling, are there any horny vampires? Oh, yes. I said the howling and then completely forgot about Howling 2, the most horny vamp- uh, werewolf up- uh, movie. Uh, an American Werewolf in London. Um, I, you think of American Werewolf in London as horny? Th- there's a scene, a prolonged scene where they fuck. Yes, I, th- I think it's. I th- uh, yes, I do, because there's a, there's in a porno theater at one point. Nah, that I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think it's that horny. God certainly, certainly not at the howling two level, which is no. or like the howling one level. Yeah. yeah. So 
as always, thank you for listening. You can head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks and hit that, smash that motherfucking subscribe button. Um, be sure to check out uh, Essex Coffee Roasters and Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at theharbiz666. And uh, head to cinepunks.com to check out some of Liam's awesome writings and some other great podcasts here. Hopefully, and, eventually, some of Justin's awesome writings. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe, maybe when I'm when I'm on vacation, maybe I'll maybe I'll do a little bit of writing. Maybe I'll write something on the plane. I don't know. So uh, yeah, until next time, um, fuck Ron Johnson. Peace. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!